Hey everyone, welcome to Superwomen. Today's guest is Tiffany Dufu, the founder and CEO of The Crew. Their algorithm matches circles of women who collaborate to meet their personal and professional goals. She's also the author of the best-selling book, Drop the Ball, Achieving More by Doing Less. And according to the incredible contributor, Gloria Steinem, Drop the Ball is an important, path-breaking, intimate, and brave. She's been named to Entrepreneur's 100 Most Powerful Women and Fast Company's League of Extraordinary Women. She has raised nearly $20 million towards the causes of women and girls, and she is a frequent speaker on women's leadership and has presented at Fortune's Most Powerful Women Summit, Makers, and TED Women. So thank you, Tiffany, for joining me today. I am so excited to speak with you. Thank you for having me. So let's start in your early years. What were you doing and what made you say that women was the space to inhabit? Mm. Well, when I was young, I was doing what I think a lot of girls were doing. <laughs> I was playing with my dolls. I was doing lots of reading. I was tacking new edition posters onto my walls and <laughs> really just trying to put my head down and get good grades and follow instructions. I was, I was that girl. And, you know, I would say that my life's work of advancing women and girls, which is pretty much why I'm on the planet, those flames got stirred when I was an adolescent, uh, when I was 16 years old. My parents are originally from Watts, Los Angeles. And in the mid-1970s, when I was conceived, it was a rough place. It was a rough time. My mom, who was 19 when she found out she was pregnant with me, didn't know much other than her environment, but she knew that there was something beyond it, which always resonates with me as an entrepreneur <laughs> that, you know, you can, you can curate something, create something that's beyond the vision that you can currently see. Either way, she encouraged my dad. She had an uncle who was an army recruiter, encouraged my dad to join the military. And the same guy that had to kick an addiction to even pass the physical exam to get into the military, eventually went to college on the GI Bill, earned a PhD in theology. I was born at Fort Lewis Army Base in Tacoma, Washington, and grew up in a nice home with the white picket fence around it, not really understanding that my parents had broken a very vicious cycle of poverty and addiction and violence in one generation, which is why I think our country is the greatest on earth that you could do that in one generation. Either way, my mom was what I call a non-paid working mom. I feel like all moms are working moms, but some of us are compensated for our labor and some of us are not. My mom was not. And when I was 16, my parents got divorced. I thought that all of the social, economic, political capital was our families. Of course, I wouldn't have articulated it that way when I was 16. But I learned after the divorce that all of that actually was only our dad's because he had gotten an education. He had worked outside of the home. He had the awards. He was the beacon in the community. And unfortunately, my mom fell back into that vicious cycle again of poverty and addiction and violence with her second husband. But I didn't know any of those cycles because my parents had broke them for us. And I spent most of my 20s 
Rebecca trying to save my mom. If anyone listening to this has ever tried to save another person, you know that it is impossible to do because each one of us is the most powerful change agent in our own journey. But I give a lot of credit to my mother and every day I wake up trying to give women a gift that she gave to me, which was this power of affirmation every day when I was growing up. And I'm almost certain now she must have read it in some parenting book. My mother would say to me, and she would look at me in my eyes and say it as if it was the first time that she had ever said it. Tiffany, you're so smart. You're so beautiful. You're so loved. And I couldn't save my mom, but if I can wake up every day and get to another woman and whisper in her ear, you're so smart, you're so beautiful, you're so loved, you can do this, then I feel like I will have paid tribute to the sacrifice that she made for me to be where I am. So that's a very long answer to the question of why Why am I here? Why am I doing this? No, I love it. And I love your, even through adversity, your positivity about it, you know, that someone else could have thrown in the towel and said, screw this women suck. My mom failed. You know, I think you're, you're, you're choosing to grow, not just personally, but say, okay, let me invest this time in helping other women is a, is an extraordinary outcome for something. So that must've been so hard to witness from your mom. Absolutely. I do have a, an advantage. I think in that I was doing a, a recording with a psychologist who said that I was pronoia. <laughs> Paranoia. What's that? What is that? That's that's the same question that I asked. So we're familiar with paranoia. Paranoia is this, you know, belief that the universe is conspiring uh, against you, uh, which brings about this fear uh, that you're always having to look over your shoulder. Paranoia is the opposite. It's this uh, belief that the universe is conspiring in your favor. To which my response was, "Isn't it?" The guy's like, yeah, that's why you have pronoia. So I will say that I am one of those very annoying people who believes that the glass is always half full, not half empty. I generally believe that people uh, are looking out for you, that they're trying to do things in your best interest. I know that that factually is probably not always the case, but I certainly operate in the world as if it is. And I don't want to live the alternative. Uh, the alternative doesn't serve me. And I think that the most powerful story is the story that we tell about ourselves to ourselves and being able to take adversity and being able to take challenges and pivot those into stories of resilience, I think is one of the most revolutionary acts that each of us can do for ourselves. I'm going to be pro, what is it? Pro Noya from now on? Yeah, yeah. I love it. So let's get into how you got started because launching a community, launching the crew is no easy feat. I have learned that with FFC. So what were you doing before you did that? And then how did you say, okay, now it's time to spread my wings and and really build this? Yes. When I say that my life's work is advancing women and girls, I do mean that literally. Every job that I've ever had, every dollar I've donated, every board I sat on, I'm on the board of Simmons University and Girls Who Code, every book, article, social media posts, like everything is focused on how do we really create a world where we can benefit from women and girls' talent and ingenuity. So before the crew, 
I was doing that. I was on the launch team for Lean In. I had spent four years at a tech startup that was focused on millennial women and helping them to elevate their careers. But I'll say that my the impetus for the crew came out of me simply saying yes to women. I'm a little addicted to listening to women's stories. And in 2012, I started to get a lot of requests to connect. You probably get a gazillion of them, Rebecca. You know, can I pick your brain? I need a mentor. Can I take you to coffee or tea or lunch? And at that time, I started doing something that was so counter to my drop the ball philosophy, which was to say yes to everybody. And I started meeting women on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 9, 10, and 11 a.m. So I would meet six or seven women a week. And I did that up until the end of 2019. So I've listened to hundreds of women's stories. And a lot of the solutions that I end up coming up with to support women come out of the observations that I've made and just listening to us. And one of those observations that led to the crew was that even though we often have a lot of people around us, our family, our friends, our coworkers, we psychologically approach our journey as if it's a solo endeavor not a team sport, meaning that if we have a problem that we need to solve, our first question is usually, how am I going to solve this problem? Instead of the question I think that's always more important to ask first, which is, who's going to help me solve this problem? And I had benefited from literally having a crew of women who have been holding me accountable for my ambition for over a decade. And I called them my crew. So I would give this little pep talk to women at the end of our chats, asking them, you know, who knows about this challenge? Who knows about your ambition? Who's holding you accountable for it? And are you meeting with those people on a regular basis? And of course, the answer would always be, that sounds amazing, but no, I don't have, I don't have a crew. And so I would give them a pep talk about how they needed one, and then I'd send them off into the sunset. Fortunately, in January of 2018, I had a woman push back. I gave her my pep talk about how she needed to find a crew. I could tell she wasn't feeling me. And she was really honest when I said, is everything okay? She was like, "Uh, no, it's not okay. And she basically broke down why what I was proposing was really hard. She said, Tiffany, it seems really easy for someone like you to say, okay, you need to go find a crew, but you don't understand the workflow that's required to do that. And then she walked me through, I'd have to get access to the cocktail party, the conference, the event. I would need to awkwardly introduce myself to a bunch of strangers, collect all of these business cards that are probably going to sit in the bottom of my Rebecca Minkoff bag. I'm going to have to schedule a bunch of coffees and teas and lunches. You want me to curate this amazing group of people and then organize us to have regular gatherings where we're going to put forth our goals together. Tiffany, I'm exhausted already. I have three kids. I have a full-time job. I had to take time off of that job, by the way, to come meet you at this pink space at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday. I have a mom with a diagnosis. I have a dog, a commute. I don't have time to find my crew. So if that's your advice, this is not very helpful. And that was all I needed. That was what I call a Tiffany's epiphany moment. Some people call them aha moments where I realized, oh my gosh, I need to stop preaching to women about how they need to go find a crew and I need to find the damn crew for them. That's what they need from me. I need to take the work out of the networking. 
And I immediately began to imagine, you know, dating sites match couples. Why can't we use technology and develop an algorithm that can match circles of women? This is what I need to do. So once I'm clear about what women need, I'll not take into consideration the fact that I'm not a technologist. I have two English degrees and can't write one line of code. I mean, it, just, it doesn't matter. I'm just really hell-bent on trying to meet the needs of women who I care deeply about. And that that was the impetus for how it got started. So you knowingly knew, you knowingly got told this is the effort that it's going to take. And you said, yes, I'm in. I'm in. I'm going to remove that effort. No woman should have to go through all of that. I'm going to remove the effort. And that was it. The only thing that I really needed at the time was I'm not a designer. I had a vision for the crew. I named, I called it the crew. I said, every woman needs one of these. So that was our tagline, the crew, every woman needs one. I hired a designer to create a logo and I asked my actual crew, my real life crew to show up for a photo shoot because I felt like in order for me to tell the story about the importance of a crew, I I wanted them to see my crew. And so actually the hardest part about launching the crew was just calendaring and getting all my crew to show up for this photo. And I literally created a video and a splash page that just said, hi, I'm Tiffany. I've done a lot of great stuff. I'm smart and I work hard, but the secret to my success is my crew. This is what they do for me. If you need a group of people like this, a group of women in your life, but you don't know where to find them, I want you to click this button and apply to the crew. I'm, I'm here to help you find your crew. And I recorded myself on my couch in my living room. I pushed that video out on social and we, I didn't have any money to start the thing. I, the application, the first application was a survey monkey. Um, I got my friends, uh, my actual crew members to help me interview women because hundreds of women clicked that button and started to apply. And we went from there. You know, it just goes to show you so many people I meet have to have the perfect deck, the perfect brand, you know, like, do, do I need a brand strategy? And like, so many cart before the horse and you and me both on, on both levels. Like when I launched FFC, I was like, okay, we have a Google doc and a one, one page website. That's all we got, you know, threw together a photo shoot using friends and built from there. But if you or I would have ever sat back and said, all right, here's the three-year plan. And this is how we're going to do it. Like, I feel like we get in our way sometimes. And you were like, I'm not going to get in my way. I'm going to launch it. And it's small and scrappy. And here we go. Absolutely. There's a really great book by a guy named Carl Schramm. It's called Burn the Business Plan. Yeah. It's such a great book about how so many of us know exactly what needs to be done. We know it in our heart. We know it in our gut. But we don't want to move forward because we think we either need to be credentialized or we need the right amount of money or we need, and you don't. Um, what I think is most important if you're what I would call a real entrepreneur, which is someone who is trying to solve a problem, you know, for a consumer is real passion for wanting to meet their need and using them as the litmus test around whether it was working. So for me, it was, I don't want to invest all that stuff because I want to make sure that what I'm pushing out into the world that the person I'm trying to help finds it of value. So my first test was, let's just put it out there to see who responds. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how you get started. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm part of a founder group and they are sending through all the times to meet and all the back and forth. And I'm like, I don't have time for this. I wish I did. I wish I had the luxury to meet with all of you. And so I find myself, even as someone who started something for other women, trying to figure out where does this time come from? I so I wrote a book called Drop the Ball because I used to be someone who was terrified of ever dropping a ball. I think that getting really clear about your highest and best use is so important, and especially when it comes to your time. My life's work happens to be advancing women and girls. And I need to connect with women. I need to listen to their stories so that I can stay centered around how I can support them and serve them. So it is in my best economic, business, marketing, political interest to say yes to a lot of women. Mm -hmm. It is not in your interest if, for example, you are, I don't know, a banker on Wall Street. spend all of your time. You got deals that you need to close. So I think it's really important that we get clear about what is the impact that we're going to make in the world? What, how is that impact going to manifest? And therefore, how should we be spending our time? And it's usually connected to what it is that we do extraordinarily well with very little effort, our point of power and influence. I'll give you the perfect example. I have an editor who I work with, I work with her for Drop the Ball, who's amazing, and who at one point was thinking about volunteering her time. This was in the wake of the 2016 election for an an immigrant rights group. She was very moved by what was happening in the country. And, you know, I'm like, listen, you have two small kids. You have lots of manuscripts to read. I actually don't think that that's your highest and best use. You're an editor at a major publishing house. If your impact is not having a bunch of meetings with people, it may not even be mentoring people, as crazy as that sounds. Your highest and best use right now in this moment is figuring out which women in hijab who you're going to get on your list. 
Like really, who are you going to publish? Whose voices are you going to amplify as an editor at a major publishing house? And so I encourage people to really think about, you know, not everyone has to say yes to all of the different forms of moving women forward and creating impact in the world. It's actually much more important for you to think about and consider what can you do that's going to achieve the most impact and focus on that and actually drop the ball and say no to the rest. I love that. And when you wrote the book, what was the impact like that you felt from that? Like what did women say and do? And and did you hear stories of balls that they dropped? Because I feel like, again, we're all marketed, like keep the balls in the air, just juggle it all, figure it all out all the time. For sure. Well, you know this as an author, you hear from so many people. I mean, that's one of the most rewarding things about a book is that you can reach so many more people beyond, you know, your own bandwidth. I've been a public speaker for some time and I can stand on stages and speak to a hundred or speak to 200, but the only way that those people have access to me is if they happen to work for a company, you know, or be at a conference or event where Tiffany's on the stage. So I love not just publishing something that people can hold in their hands, but also being in people's ear uh, because I, I also read the book. And it is incredible to listen to the stories of women who have dropped so many things. Um, most importantly, the unrealistic expectation that they were supposed to have all of those balls juggling beautifully in the air to begin with, right? It's really the shift in consciousness. I really wanted to take women on a psychological journey um, of understanding that you can rearrange your priorities. You know, we all were born into this world playing out certain roles. If you were assigned girl, your first role was probably daughter. If you were assigned boy, your first role was probably son. We then become brothers or sisters. If we have siblings, we go to the playground and we end up being friends, students, workers. Some of us become wives, mothers. And what I find fascinating about listening to so many women's stories is that somehow, even though we're born to different families, different cultures, different traditions, we all ended up with very similar job descriptions for what it means to be a good anything if you took those roles and turned them into a job description. So for example, I'm the oldest of four girls. And in my good sister job description, it says, I need to respond to my little sister's text messages within three minutes. You know, and if you're if you're the oldest, you get that. You know, you understand the importance of being responsive. I'm sure there's one now that says she needs a hundred dollars, you know, Venmo her a hundred dollars. If you're a good mom, that job description, there's a line that says you need to be physically present when your child takes their first steps. I can't tell you the number of women I've spoken to that are just so distraught because they have to travel for some work event and they know as soon as the train pulls out of the station or the plane you know, gets in the air, their child who's about a year old is going to start walking. They will have missed the event. It will have meant that they're a bad mom. This is despite the fact that none of these women can tell me they remember who was there when they took their first steps. But somehow this is like (laughs) the most critical moment in the life of a child. And I think that getting to a point where you recognize, wait a minute, this job description, I did not curate. Uh, this came, my my expectations of myself, I'm not actually the source of them. And if you don't believe me, just do a very simple exercise where you write out all of the roles that you play, pretend that you're writing a job description and answer two questions. The first is, what does a good ex do? 
What does a good wife do? What does a good entrepreneur do? And then the second question, how do I know that that's what a good ex does? How do I know that a good worker shows up to the Zoom or shows up at the office before everybody else and is the last to leave? That the honest answer to that second question is never, well, I made it up. You know, it comes from your early childhood, what you saw modeled in your home. It comes from popular culture. I personally was going to be Claire Huxtable when I grew up and realized I was not really realistic. It comes from advertising, choosing moms choose. Most women could probably finish. If you're American, you grew up in a certain time frame, you could finish that sentence. It's Jeff, because we all saw that commercial. So the most rewarding thing has been taking women on that journey of recurating their job description and really getting clear about what matters most to them and deciding what should be on the job description that they want to create for themselves, as opposed to just taking what comes over the fence and then feeling guilty because you can't live up to the impossible nature of it. No, and no one can. And I often talk about this. I'm like, you know, when women are asked about balance, I'm like, men don't have balance either. Don't think that they have it easy. If they don't know how to cry or be empathetic or are not raised to be allowed to think that they can, you know, even my, even my 10 year old son to me the other day, he's like, don't be embarrassed for daddy, but he cried the other day. And I was like, I'm not embarrassed for daddy. I think it's great that he cried and you're, you're allowed to cry too. But you know, to, to think that in our household where that is definitely not being taught that he already started thinking that, you know, it's just like, well, men don't, men don't get it easy either. You know, right. Well, that's a part of their job description, right? Never cry. Exactly. Yeah. So of many women I've met, you are an extraordinarily storyteller, but also soulful and deep thinker. And I'm so curious to know who fills you up and where do you turn to when you need to be refilled? Oh, so many places. So the first thing that I'll share is that I am the cumulative investment of a lot of women who have poured themselves into me. And I know that not all women have that story, but I do want to say that is my my story. I know that there are women who are not supportive of other women, but that has not been my experience. And it started very early in my career. I had one of my first jobs was as a nonprofit fundraiser. And I had a board member pull me aside. Her name is Janie Williams. Uh, This was in Seattle. And Janie says, Tiffany, you're really smart and you work really hard. I've never seen a young person work so hard, but you don't know anything about raising money. And that's your job. (laughs) And she says, do you want to learn? And I said, yes, ma'am, I would like to learn. And she invited me to a meeting Uh, That was a few days after that. She said, show up at this address. Don't say anything during the meeting. And she introduced me by saying to this philanthropist that she was meeting with, this is Tiffany. She's a superstar. She's here to learn how to raise money, which I thought was a brilliant way to start a meeting when you're going to ask someone for money. (laughs) That you brought somebody else to the meeting. And for, I would say, six, six to eight months, she basically took me from philanthropist to philanthropist in Seattle and said the same thing. And that's how I learned how to raise money was watching Janie Williams. When I moved to Boston, uh, Janie said, when you get there, you go find Lois Lindauer. You tell her that I sent you. I met Lois. She got me my job at Simmons University. When I moved from Boston to New York, I had another mentor named Larissa Sellers who said, when you get to New York, you go find Marie Wilson at the White House Project. You tell her that I 
sent you. I've literally been passed like that from one woman to the next. And that's part of where the soulfulness and the depth comes from, Rebecca. It really is an immense well of gratitude for what I've learned from watching and being effectively an apprentice to very powerful women who have nothing left to do but send the elevator back down uh, and have chosen to do that. And it has not been an easy journey. Sometimes the most powerful people are the most difficult to work for. And certainly I've spent many uh, mornings in my bathroom thinking, my boss hates me. <laughs> you know, what am I, what am I going to do? But um, they never got rid of me uh, and they kept sending me to the next person. So I think I did okay. I, uh, I also grew up in the church and, you know, believe that there's a higher power and that we're all here for something much greater than ourselves. So that's probably a little bit too. I love that. And what, what would you say to people listening who are either not equally paid, not equally represented, that feel like they're fighting the good fight, but you know, even what I love about Bozema St. John in, in our interview is like, she was banging her head up against that wall and it was not moving and she was yelling and screaming. She's like, I'm going to go find a new place to work because you guys aren't shifting. So rather than take it as a failure, she was like, you lost out, I'm leaving. What do you say to some of those women who I'm sure you hear from within the crew? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I would take Bozema's comment even further in my case and say, I decided to create a whole new other workplace. Mm -hmm. I'm not even taking my gifts, talents, skills, and abilities and, and investing them in someone else's brand anymore. I'm creating the place for myself. I'll never forget early in my career, I wasn't getting promoted and I got someone to give me feedback. It was so hard. It's hard to get feedback sometimes when you're a woman, when you're underrepresented, just get someone to tell you what you really need to hear. But I worked hard to create a space for this person to just say, listen, I am at an inflection point in my career and I really need to get some feedback about why I'm not getting this role. And the person blurted out, you wear too much gold. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, but I had promised the person that I wouldn't respond and that I would take it to heart. What I realized later was that this person didn't have the cultural competency to say something that would have been much more helpful, like maybe, you know, you've chosen a profession as a fundraiser in which you're going to have to come across a lot of high net worth individuals who don't have the same background as you. And, you know, all of the jewelry that you're wearing might be signaling something to them that while it's not fair, might not help you in terms of establishing or building trust. I mean, there's so many ways that they could have communicated um, that I that I wear too much gold that was so much better. And I, I tell that because the other day I was having this meeting with someone on our team and she got on to Zoom and she had on these big gold hoop earrings and she had these dangly like <laughs> gold bracelets and she had two gold necklaces with pendants on them and I was beaming and she was like what like what's going on and I I didn't even know how to explain I like really wanted to burst out into tears to say this is a place where you can show up as yourself 
and we embrace that. So, you know, I would say to someone who's beating their head up against a wall, yes, you can go to a new environment. You can create your own environment. But most importantly, you recognizing that you have incredible value, that you are not the one going crazy. It's the world that doesn't make any sense. And that one of the most important things you can do is surround yourself with the people who will whisper in your ear, you're so smart, you're so beautiful, you're so loved, you can do this. And we are right here beside you. And that's why I think having a crew is so critical. I love it. That's incredible. Uh, Well, certainly your crew came out to support me when I was launching my book and in need of a lot of sales to hit that bestseller list. And like I was saying before you came on, I was like, they actually went and bought. You talk a lot, you speak a lot. And then these women came out and supported in such a huge way that blew me away. So you've created a really special, extraordinary community. And I'm just happy that you're doing this, Um, even though I can't be a part of it. (laughs) So, and I say I can't be a part of it because not because you won't let me, but because you said that I can't be a part of it for other reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the crew, so that everyone knows, the crew is really designed for mid-career women. Yes. And Rebecca's not mid-career. Rebecca the baller. <laughs> uh, and so we have other we have other networks that we belong to for women who are, you know, at the senior levels in their career. But I really felt like I was thinking about that woman, you know, who spoke to me in January 2018, you know, who's like, listen, I don't have the bandwidth. You know, I'm in middle management. I've got all of these things on my plate. And I thought we need something for her. Yep. Well, they need it. I know they need it because we we hear about it just from our founders all the time of people that work for them that are like, wait, I want to be part of something. That's not fair. So where would you tell people to join if they are, you know, as you have described mid-level in their careers, how do they join? Where do they find you and how can they support? Yes, absolutely. If you're in need of a crew, you should go to thecrew.com and it's spelled C-R-U. So thecrew.com. You can find me. I'm at T-D-U-F-U, T-D-U-F-U on pretty much every social network. I spend most of my time on LinkedIn uh, and I love to hear from people. So reach out to me. Awesome. And then before I let you go, I always like to ask this of all my guests. What are the two questions are, what is some advice you would like to pass on either hard won or given to you? And what would we be surprised to know about you? Oh, I'll share because I've had to remind myself of it recently, advice that a mentor gave to me many years ago. I was in angst over a job opportunity that would take my family to a new city. And I was telling my mentor about this and asking her what I should do. And she kind of chuckled and she said, you know, Tiffany, one of the observations I've made about you is that you're always worried about decisions you don't actually have to make. She says, you're worried about moving your family to a new city. You haven't even applied to this job. Like you don't have a job offer. She said, why don't you focus on generating options for yourself instead of worrying about options that you don't have? And so, you know, I, that I'll pass that along, uh, whatever it is that you want to do, like make sure that you're focused on spending your energy, generating the options, curating it. And then once you get it, you can decide, don't overthink it. And the one thing that people would probably be surprised to know about me is that my favorite superhero is not Wonder Woman. It's the Incredible Hulk. 
Ooh, tell me why when you get angry, do you turn into the Hulk? I think I think I do. Yeah, I have a very like nice outer presence and and shell. People find me so delightful, but they have no idea what's on the other side if they piss me off. Ooh, I like that because I was thinking to myself, she's so nice all the time. Yes, and I'm not that nice all the time. I just screamed at someone this morning. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad to know that you can turn into the Hulk. Uh-huh. Yeah. Love it. Don't mess with <laughs> Tiffany. She might don't be mess sweet, with me. sweet on the outside, but the Hulk comes out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for what you do for women. And if you are listening and you are seeking a crew, I shit you not, this is the place to find it. Oh, thank you so much, Rebecca. And thank you for just your commitment to advancing women. It's breathtaking. Oh, thank you. I love it. It gives me it gives me uh lots of internal soul-fulfilling rewards to see women doing well. So no problem there. I just wanted to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I also want to ask you to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a pain in the butt, but it actually helps with search and algorithms. So if you love this podcast, it is an easy way to get it more visible and out there. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Minkoff at RM Superwomen and be sure to check out my book, Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. Thank you again and you will hear from me next week.